You're listening to The Naked Pravda. This is a relatively new show from Medusa, our first English language podcast, so please don't be shy about recommending us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Welcome to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. I am your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. And on today's show, we'll be discussing the controversial amendments recently made to the internal rules and regulations on students and faculty at Moscow's Higher School of Economics, or HSE, perhaps the best university in Russia. In mid-January, the school's administration shared a proposal to impose greater restrictions on political activism within the university that would have prohibited individuals affiliated with HSE from mentioning this connection when discussing political issues or taking part in what the school officials described as socially divisive activities. Administrators also announced that the university would strip all student media groups of their university status, apparently in response to the actions of a single student outlet called DOXA. About a week later, on January 24th, HSE's Academic Council held a 10-hour meeting. Among many issues, the Council discussed the proposed amendments to the school's internal rules, ultimately watering down many of the most draconian suggestions. For example, the university is still cracking down on political activism, supposedly in the school's name, but the language about socially divisive activities didn't make the final cut. What happened on the day of the of the meeting that was supposed uh, to approve the documents. And actually, the day before that shows that at least some dialogue started happening. And this is, a, to me, it's, it's a very good sign. That's Greg Uden, a senior research fellow and an associate professor of sociology at the Higher School of Economics. Between 2014 and 2016, he was named one of the school's best teachers for three years in a row. Greg says he's not exactly thrilled about all the new restrictions but he believes the administration made a reasonable effort to engage disgruntled students. And the amendments to HSE's internal rules reflect a good compromise, he says. And yes, the rector voiced some of the concerns of the professors and students and actually uh, introduced himself a couple of very important amendments to those new regulations so that uh, eventually the whole thing was approved almost unanimously, I guess. And some of the most poisonous elements of the suggested regulation, uh, some of them were softened and to a certain extent disarmed. Greg says one of the main reasons for the university's sudden concern about student activism is a student journal called DOXA, which mobilized significant attention and solidarity on behalf of several HSE students who were arrested and prosecuted for their participation in last summer's opposition protests in Moscow. Because the student media uh, are, of course, one of the possible sources of uh, political positions, sources of political statements. Uh, and uh, that is also what the university finds worrying. That, of course, has everything to do with uh, the extremely successful activities of, of the DOXA journal. Obviously, DOXA is uh, extremely successful and extremely 
efficient uh, student project. Actually, I guess the first project that made the, the student agenda the matter of the public, of the real public debate. And that, of course, led them to adopt in certain political positions. And the university would like to disassociate itself from, from those political positions. Armen Armen is an editor at DOXA and a graduate student at the Higher School of Economics. He doesn't share Professor Yudin's optimism about last month's academic council meeting. I think uh, there is kind of little understanding of what were the final kind of version of these uh, new rules and there is also little understanding of how these rules will be implemented and that's why it's very difficult to have a like, certain attitude towards these uh, changes because it's difficult to understand how to uh, how these changes will be implemented in practice because uh, there are a lot of very vague uh, definitions used in these rules uh, First of all, the notion of uh, political activity and political uh, statements, because uh, nowhere in these rules uh, the notion of political is uh, defined in any way, and that's why still can be used very widely and uh, it can be used very selectively against uh, those activities which university wants to ban. I think uh, if uh, you want to know what is um, general attitude from students and from uh, the academic staff of the university, I think most of uh, those people have mixed feelings because <laughs> because of all this process uh, very few of them in the end uh, understand what is going on right now and which rules were changed and which weren't and so on. Do you feel like the university was respectful with the students? Because I know that the initial meeting that occurred between various students and, and various administrators, there was some complaints that the administrators were looking at their phones during the, during the exchange, and there doesn't seem to have been as much respect as the students would have wanted. When you met for the, the you know, this, this uh, council meeting that I guess lasted like, it lasted 10 hours or whatever. I mean, I know, I know that other things were discussed, but, but uh, w- what was the atmosphere? Do you feel like the students have gotten the respect that they wanted? I think the atmosphere remained basically the same at the, meet- at the meeting of uh, Academic Council, John Soviet. It was all the student activists who campaigned against these new rules. They were kind of dismissed. They were called like some kind of a group of anonymous people who are causing unrest and who are don't have don't value like university and so on. Also, during this council, there were the statements that all this. Activists, they only want to gain some hype and <laughs> they don't care about university and so on and so on. So it's the communication style of administration remains the same. And I think it's one of the things that actually provokes all this conflict even more. But what do university administrators say about their amendments to HSC's internal rules? Are the people who run the school satisfied with last month's outcome? You know... The issue isn't whether or not I'm satisfied. I think the discussion was constructive. It was heated. Different points of view were expressed, and a lot was changed and modified during this discussion. 
In the end, I think we arrived at a result that suits everyone, something like that. That's Andrei Lavrov, HSC's public relations director. He says a small group of activist students within the university have tried to hijack the public discussion about the school's new rules. And he accuses these individuals of spreading false interpretations of the restrictions on political activity. Look, I'd like to say that the idea that we're prohibiting the signing of open letters is wrong. That's an inaccurate interpretation. For whatever reason, some students decided this, and they've actively broadcast this point of view. But it's an inaccurate interpretation. We are prohibiting the signing of statements offered in the university's name. Now look, the Higher School of Economics has 40,000 students. If 40 students write some letter of support of, let's say, the Barcelona soccer team in its rivalry against Real Madrid, does that mean all HSC is rooting for Barcelona? Well, probably not. It means that these 40 people are rooting for Barcelona, and we're asking to avoid this kind of thing. At the same time, if, for example, they want to write a letter saying that we HSE students express our support for these people who are opposed to something, it doesn't matter what. And they say, like Vasily Ivanov signed it, and Pyotr Pretrov signed it, and so on. And it's not like they're speaking on behalf of the entire university. They're speaking on behalf of their own collective. Then there's no problem with that. Go right ahead. We can't control that in any way. This talk about writing and signing open letters isn't for nothing. Some of the most prominent acts of student and faculty solidarity at HSE over the past couple of years have been concerted letter-writing campaigns. Greg Uden says there's a generational conflict happening here. Obviously, there is a growing tension between the, the political elites who are mostly aged and generally anti-intellectual, uh, so political elites on, on one side and the academic community and the young, the youngsters, the young students, uh, particularly progressive students on the other side. So in this situation, university would like to uh, fence itself off uh, the, those uh, political conflicts. And this is why uh, those additional regulations are introduced meant to evacuate university completely from, from the political life. But that's obviously unfeasible. And this is what actually emerged during this discussion of, of those new regulations. Armian Aramian says the final rules adopted by HSC's Academic Council are still confusing. And the freedom to get involved with open letters is still unclear, he says. Yeah, with, uh, with open letters it's also confusing, difficult to understand whether this new rule bans open letters from students or teachers of HSC as such, or... It's bans a certain type of letters. I think it only provokes people to write more open letters because generally among activists and among students of higher school economics and other universities, the like writing and subscribing open letters was kind of this minimal version of political activism. It's the least dangerous one. It's a form of kind of activism which demands from you very little, and so you can invite a lot of people to participate in this activity. You can ask a lot of students and teachers to sign these letters, and so on and so on. And um, right now, university admits that even this kind of minimal and uh, simple form of activity is considered kind of dangerous for the university. One of the things that has kind of confuse me is that the university seems to be the policies that they've introduced, certainly the way they were originally worded, but even 
even the final wording seems to suggest that they're concerned that students and faculty, that their political activism, you know, when they're being politically active, not everyone is politically active, obviously, but when some of them are doing politically active things, there seems to be a concern on the part of the administrators that the students and the faculty are presenting their views or their activism as though it represents the school's official position. Where do you think that comes from? Like, does DOXA or do other student activists or faculty members, are you aware of cases where they have suggested or said outright, we are saying this on behalf of the university? Like, is that a statement that people make? No, it's completely absurd. Nobody ever, I think, uh, ever made this kind of statement. And this is kind of uh, this general paranoid concern with the damage to the reputation of HSC that not only you can't make statements like from HSC, which would seem very absurd, like you're a student and you make a statement from the HSC, nobody would even listen to you. It's like kind of this activity which doesn't make any sense even if somebody wanted to do it. I asked Andrei Lavrov about open letters, and he said they're still perfectly fine, with some limits. You can do that. It's allowed. You can mention it. The second point is where we ask you to limit your affiliation with the fact that you're a student or faculty member at HSC if you're involved in political actions. Meaning, if you're running some kind of campaign, or if you're supporting some political party, like let's say if the political party United Russia wants to recruit HSC teachers or it wants to use them in its election campaign, and you're saying that the HSC faculty support us, we're asking you not to do that kind of thing. We prohibit that. We don't allow it. But what does HSC mean when it tells students and staff that they need to limit their affiliation with the school? How does that work in practice? Let's say, for example, that someone is very involved in politics. This person wants to run for mayor. Just as an example, there's a campaign. He's trying to win over votes. You know the drill. Or let's say he wants to write a political column or letter in support of this or that political group. I repeat that we're talking only about active political actions. In a case like this, we can ask the person to take reasonable steps to avoid affiliation with the school. What does this mean? Maybe he says he's expressing his personal point of view. If, for example, this is a philology professor, he can sign a letter as a philology professor. Hold up. If you're an American, you might be asking yourself at this point, what the heck is philology? It's the study of language in oral and written historical sources. To put this in the context of more familiar studies, it's the intersection of textual criticism, literary criticism, history, and linguistics. But that's not what's really important here. What you need to know is that Lavrov here is clearly referring to HSC professor Gassan Gusenev, who last October caused a national scandal with a single Facebook post where he criticized the use of language in the Russian media referring to the Russian language as miserable and despicable. After a few weeks, the Ethics Commission of HSC's Academic Council recommended that Gusenev issue a public apology for making ill-conceived and irresponsible statements that damaged the university's reputation, and the commission urged him to disavow his remarks. Gusenev told the commission to buzz off. Okay. Let's get back to Andrei Lavrov now. If, for example, this is a philology professor, he can sign a letter as a philology professor, but not as a higher school of economics professor. 
Or he can in fact sign as a higher school of economics professor, and the norms that we introduce leave us with the right to reach out to him, if his statement harms our academic freedoms and our academic work in any way. And we can ask him to clarify that he expressed this point of view as a private individual. That's all. As heated as the controversy surrounding Ghassan Gusseno's Facebook post was, this is not the biggest scandal to rock HSC in the past year. That honor goes to Vice Rector Valeria Kasmara's campaign for a seat in the Moscow City Duma. Greg Uden says her campaign infuriated many professors at HSC who feel that she ran as the university's official candidate without the faculty's endorsement. Last year, we had a very severe representation problem when a candidate from, actually, a, a, vice, uh, a vice rector ran for Moscow City Council, Moscow Parliament, as an official candidate from university without having an approval uh, from, from the faculty, without having any, any kind of official approval. And that was a severe representation problem. So actually, um, those open letters that were circulating, many of them were circulating last year, and the readiness to act in solidarity, defending the members of the community of the university, these actions were, were pretty efficient. Some of those amendments were obviously targeting those, uh, those practices. HSE Public Relations Director Andrei Lavrov insists that Kasmara never violated any of the school's rules on political activities, and he says her campaign last summer would still be allowed now under the university's amended restrictions. Sure. Why not? Of course you can run for a Duma seat. Last year, Valeria Kasamara, I'd like to draw attention to this, was identified as an HSC vice rector only because Russian election law requires candidates to indicate their place of work when registering their candidacy. Naturally, if the law requires it, what kind of restrictions can we impose? At the same time, Kasamara ran her campaign completely separately from the higher school of economics. She didn't recruit her students. She didn't meet with voters in university classrooms. Not a single HSE employee was part of her active campaign staff. And nobody inside HSE collected signatures for her. She did all of this outside the university as a private individual. But Doxa's Armen Ariman says this isn't actually how Kasmara ran her campaign. The thing with Valeria Kasmara's participation in, the, in these elections is that she actually, in all her public uh, I mean, presentations, she, she claimed, yes, I'm from higher school of economics, I'm a director of such, such an institute, I'm a vice rector, etc., and for example, if you check the Nova Gazeta interview with her, like in, conducted in June, I think, or in beginning of July, she also openly says that, yes, uh, Yaroslav Kuzminov was a candidate before me because we need to represent university's kind of interests in this Moscow Duma. Armen is right. Last June, just after Kasmara submitted her candidacy paperwork for the Moscow City Duma elections, she told Nova Gazeta that it was important for the Higher School of Economics to maintain its presence in Moscow's 43rd district, where she ran for the seat then occupied by her boss, Rector Yaroslav Kuzminov, the head of HSE. In the interview, she mentioned Kuzminov dozens of times, arguing that it was her university's social responsibility to participate in the district's public life. She also stressed that HSE was drafting a development program for the area 
in cooperation with Moscow city officials. It's difficult to say that she didn't uh, use, uh, she didn't say that she's a, a university candidate because she openly did so. She said that Yaroslav Kuzmil was in Duma. Now I am uh, going there instead of him. And uh, our university has a lot of kind of uh, our university is an important stakeholder in city kind of poli- politics. And uh, that's why we have to participate. I mean, even now, it's interesting that Valeria Savar is kind of this figure which can exist both in politics and in university because uh, there was, uh, when, when she was a candidate, she, of course, received a huge uh, financial support for her campaign and she launched uh, public pages and like in social networks and Telegram and Facebook. And these uh, public pages are still... Uh, they, they are still active. They are still right now. They are covering her activity both as university administrator and as a kind of I don't know social leader of like different other projects. This is also true. Kasmara has a public page on Facebook, separate from her individual private account, where the first featured video shows her speaking from a stage adorned in HSC's official logo. Ella Panfilova, the former head of HSC's lab for anti-corruption policy and now the chair of Transparency International Russia, used to be close friends with Kasmara. But the two had a falling out in the summer of 2018 when Panfilova resigned from the school after almost a decade because of what she called institutional and ethical conflicts. About a year later, when Kasmara announced her candidacy for Moscow's city Duma, Panfilova accused her and Rector Kuzminov of abusing HSC's administrative resources claiming that Kasmara actually tasked several of her subordinates with work related to her campaign. Penfilova also pointed out that the official job description on HSC's website for at least one member of Kasmara's Institute for Applied Political Studies included responsibilities directly related to Yaroslav Kuzminov's duties in the Moscow City Duma. A few days later, these responsibilities mysteriously disappeared from the staff page on the school's website. Okay, so scandals, Russian university intrigue, Moscow local politics. How does any of this compare to academic political life outside of Russia, say in the United States? I'm a professor of geography at the Department of Geography, University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I am a senior lecturer in the School of Education here at UW-Madison. That's Chris Olds and Mark Johnson, two scholars at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, a public research university in, you guessed it, Madison, Wisconsin. I turn to these two Badgers, the school's mascot is Bucky Badger, to find out what kind of restrictions American universities impose on their students and faculty. And oh yeah, Mark Johnson has a past HSE affiliation himself. I was also a guest professor for an online program at HSE for several years after 2012. I have actually taught at HSE and I was very impressed at the time, that was roughly 2012 to about 2016, the, the complete academic freedom in the atmosphere in the classroom was really, you know, incredible. Chris says the guiding star in U.S. public colleges is to think of faculty as public employees. I'd say that there's a variety of restrictions and it's going to vary from institution to institution, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and whether you're talking about public or private institutions as well. Um, And then it's going to also vary... um, with respect to the electoral cycles, with respect to the United States. So uh, restrictions tend to get uh, de facto ramped up a little more during election cycles when people are campaigning. 
And so there are guidelines. Our institution, for example, which is a uh, U.S. public university that is funded uh, increasingly less by the state government, uh, but in any case, it's a public institution. And so there are restrictions. And the main restrictions are that you can't use university, uh, for example, printers, uh, money, facilities, logos, logos uh, these sorts of things to advocate for any particular political party or politician. You can almost de facto sort of think of us as uh, public employees. And so what they don't want is me sitting in my office using my computer here to help campaign for a politician. That said, you can participate in political life. You can uh, speak about issues. You can talk about your research with respect to everything from water quality to uh, you know, the nature and evolving role of the constitution in society, uh, etc. So you can participate in political life, but you can't really use your facilities here. Right. So far, things don't sound that different from the rules at HSC, but Mark and Chris say teachers who step out of line in the U.S. won't generally have to worry about any ethics commissions. And the, the punishments would be very mild. I mean, even if you did cross some of those lines and were politically active or participated in a protest, the chances of actually, you know, being severed from the institution or being terminated are very, are nil. Yeah. So, so we could, for example, have a staff member who uses our department letterhead or a poster, uh, a banner, etc., during a particular politically heated campaign or protest. And if that happens, what you're going to get is a, an email probably from the dean saying, dear department chair, we noticed this up there. Could you make sure that that staff member realizes what the rules are? Right. The rules get shared with this person. And then we go and tell them so that you can't really do that. You can stand up there at lunchtime and protest, but you just can't use our department, uh, like I say, letterhead or banner or poster and these sorts of things. When it comes to students in the U.S., however, there's a lot more leeway. Here, the core principles are ostensibly to cultivate active citizens and train professional journalists. I want to add, though, there's big differences for students. So students are encouraged to learn. So the ultimate objective is learning and learning gain. And so students form organizations and associations associated with particular political parties. They bring in speakers from different political parties. They are encouraged as well to set up debates between particular politicians. And you'll see this happening in all sorts of ways on campus. They, again, can't use, they can bring them into university buildings, but they can't use the buildings, for example, to generate revenue for the party or the politician. So the objective is learning, and that occurs by learning about how politics work, learning how parties work. So the ultimate objective with respect to students is learning and using and participating in the political process and learning while doing so. Learning through participation and inviting outside guests is a familiar concept at the Higher School of Economics, of course. But it's become harder recently to bring in politically active speakers. Armian Armian says the university now imposes a political litmus test on any guest speakers. Back in like maybe five years ago, yes, it would be possible more or less not with every speaker, maybe not with most radical speakers, but all, but even Alexei Navalny was in participated in debates with Yaroslav Kuzminov about ways of fighting corruption and it was it was okay but during these last years it became almost impossible and if you if you are able to invite 
somebody to the university, it should be very, it should be aligned with the current position of the university. It should be basically certain people in university administration should agree with it, and uh, only then you can do it. But um, in most of cases, you can't. And I, I, I think you heard this story about the student talk show, uh, which was a kind of this uh, basically. Uh, it was a it was a study project. It wasn't even a kind of a independent student organization, and they invited Lubov Sobel, who is a prominent politician, yeah, and uh, ally of Alexei Navalny. And uh, then this show was closed like a day before the talk show with Lubov Sobel had to take place. Armen is referring here to an incident last May when HSC suddenly canceled an interview with Lubov Sobel, who was invited by journalism students to be a guest on a student-run talk show. Vice Rector Valeria Kasmara later explained that the anti-corruption activist couldn't speak at HSC because she was already actively campaigning for the city Duma elections, though Sobel was never actually a registered candidate. Right now, students in HSC, and in, I think I can say that in all Russian universities can't, don't, don't have such a freedom to invite Anybody they, they want to university walls because because the administration of university decides who can be. Mark Johnson says HSC's dedication to what it calls political neutrality is meant to protect the school as Russia's political climate has changed since the early 1990s. The thing about HSC is when it was created in 1992, it was very much identified with the kind of it was one of the, it's probably the single most prominent public university created after the end of the Soviet Union. And it was very much identified with the kind of liberal faction, you know, that supported liberalization of property and of, you know, commercialization of markets, which, which was very much government policy in the 1990s. And has now, as the government has reasserted itself and become more autocratic or more statist, it has taken on, it still plays an important role in training young people and, and feeding into kind of elite professional circles in Moscow and the region. But it is that that liberal stance has is perceived as a little more critical or a little more marginal than it used to be. So I my assumption is that the adoption of language about political neutrality is an effort to protect the university in the current political environment. And I don't think you would, it has a different, it resonates in a different way in a Russian context than it would here. I mean, the university as an institution may, you know, invoke language of political neutrality here, but it would not expect all of its faculty, staff and employees to do so. Andrei Lavrov says political neutrality is a core position for the higher school of economics. And he, too, says Russia's history is part of this policy. The fact is that in our background, for 75 years in Russia and the Soviet Union, Science and academics were partisan, and the memory of how work by scientists in biology and genetics was contingent upon the perspective of Marxist-Leninist philosophy is still very fresh. Our strong desire to ensure the university's political neutrality and prevent the university's participation in any kind of politics is due precisely to this. We want to preserve the university as an environment for education and science. The university cannot be a platform for the struggle for power, and politics as we understand it is the struggle for power. If this happens, researchers cease to be impartial, and they need to be independent from politics. That's why we consider the principle of political neutrality to be a kind of guarantee 
of academic freedom. But has the university gone too far? Greg Uden says HSC has legitimate concerns when it comes to politically active student media. But he says the administration's fears of politicization have basically jumped the shark. As far as I'm concerned, this is a, this is a legitimate concern. When a, a student media takes a position on any kind of political struggle, that should be differentiated from the position of, of university. I, I feel like this concern could be very well heard by the by the media. But, uh, of course, the, the fear of politicization is so, so elevated within the administration that they decided uh, simply to, to block and to, ban, to put a ban on all kinds of uh, student media, which uh, is, of course, uh, ridiculous. I don't think there's any chance that that's going to work because what they would like to achieve with that is that university is completely uh, disassociated from political life. But students are obviously going to continue uh, to be engaged in politics in, in various ways. And their affiliation, they, they form an affiliation with, uh, with HSC, will inevitably pop up here and there. But this is all ultimately a legal issue, if you ask Andrei Lavrov. Of course, I'll explain. The fact is that this is a legal issue. The very concept of a student organization is a practice invented by the higher school of economics to find ways to stimulate students' extracurricular work. Legally, a student organization isn't a subdivision of the higher school of economics. It's a certain kind of entity that is related directly to HSE. In other words, an HSE student organization is HSE. The second point is that our principled stance has always been that student media should be independent. Neither HSE's administration nor HSE's professors have ever interfered in their work. They've never called them in for planning sessions or dictated editorial policies or asked them to retract this or that story. Chris Old says the U.S. has a long history of student journalism, and these publications have often been activist in nature. The things get a little trickier around election time. In general, you know, there's a long history with respect to student journalism in the United States and other countries like Canada. Student newspapers have been set up. They've been very often activist in orientation. Um, and so they generally have no re- formal sort of restrictions to engage in, as far as I understand it, political discussions and debates. You won't see them, though, uh, strongly coming out regularly in favor of a particular political party, my understanding is. They might, though, do what newspapers do in the United States, and this is a long-standing tradition of listening to the various people running for, for example, to be a governor, to be the president, and then they'll come out and say, we support president so-and-so or governor so-and-so, during this campaign. So it often will lead to eventually a reason, a theoretically reasoned stance on a particular uh, politician uh, or party. Uh, and it's supposed to be often sort of implicitly about who might, for example, be a better leader with right. respect to higher education and, and uh, represent students' uh, perspectives better. So like I say, going back to the learning thing, Student journalism, newspapers and, and radio stations, etc., have been ways to educate students to participate in the formal professional 
sphere or sector with respect to journalism. That's how you sort of learn these types of things. At least for DOXA, the student journal that apparently prompted HSC's new policy on student media, the school's decision to cut ties isn't such a big deal. But Armin Armian says it could have greater consequences for other publications. It wasn't getting a lot of support. It was getting, basically, we, we could use uh, university rooms and uh, make our, like, some kind of public meetings in universities and so on. And we also had an access to equipment uh, for our media projects, for video projects and so on. And, and now we can't use it. But basically, it, it wasn't much because, I mean, DOXA was from the beginning a volunteer project and it existed for several years without any financing. And so right now we are kind of this uh, decision of HSC didn't influence us like majorly. But I think it, it uh, because the HSC also decided to deny support to all the other student media as well. I think there are a lot of organizations who are actually affected by this more. I asked Andrei Lavrov if he thinks HSC's decision to distance itself from the university student media will be a problem. Like, what does this change for the school's aspiring journalists? Andrei says basically that whatever happens is going to happen. You know, from my point of view, this won't make their work any easier or harder. It will have very little effect on their work, but it will greatly simplify life for HSE. At the very least, we won't face the moral dilemma of whether or not we pressure student media because they are legally part of HSE. Officially, we are waiving responsibility for the content produced by student media, so we're providing them with complete independence. In this sense, the independence of student media will be ensured and guaranteed to a greater extent. At the same time, we understand that independence isn't always easy. Sometimes it's hard. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, a podcast that highlights how Medusa's top reporting intersects with the wider research and expertise that exists about Russia. On today's show, we looked at new internal rules adopted at Moscow's Higher School of Economics and how they might affect political activism at the university. I want to thank Sean Guillory for lending his voice to the dubbing on this episode and Anastasia Beskrovnaya for her transcription assistance. On future episodes of this show, we'll be discussing historians' interpretations of the Nazi-Soviet non-aggression pact and Poland's role in the start of World War II, as well as queer Russophone science fiction. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English-language show, and I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thanks for listening. Come back soon.